0: Praise the Lord. Amen. We would like to pray together as we prepare our hearts. I have a a song of prayer that I want you to help me to sing as we pray together.
1: Holy Ghost, do it again. Do it again In my life O oh,
0: Father we pray tonight we want you to open our eyes say when I'm lifted up I will draw all men unto myself we need to see we ask oh God that the eyes of understanding will be enlightened that we will see Jesus the man of Calvary what he did at Calvary for us that we will appropriate fully the provisions and the benefits of the cross unto our daily lives in the name of Jesus Christ the Christian journey can become very frustrating and accept you help us and do something new many are given up and we don't want to draw back so the soul that draws back I will have no pleasure in him. We pray, O God, I will be unto those that believe unto the end. In the name of Jesus Christ. We ask the things you do to help people. The things you do to bring emancipation, deliverance. To those that used to sit under the shadow of death. In the regions of darkness. Lord, do it unto us in the name of Jesus Christ. Let the entrance of your word tonight, let it come with light, understanding, revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ unto our hearts in the name of Jesus. Thank you. We are not seeking head knowledge. We want an experience of Jesus. Please do it for us tonight in Jesus' name. Both those of us here and those online, we pray, O God, that you will meet each one of us at the point of our needs. Even in Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. I would like to thank God for the privilege again. Uh, Yesterday we began to look at the uselessness of the flesh. We began to go back to see where the flesh came into existence and its manifestations and why it is not profitable to us to entertain it in any way at all. Tonight, our time is short and our journey is long, so we would like to beg God to help us and grant us speed as we now begin to take the final aspect, God's verdict on the flesh. The flesh must be put to death and how to put to death my own flesh and your own flesh. I want to start from where we stopped last night. The passage we were looking at was Romans chapter 7. We stopped at v- verse 24. And if you can help us turn our Bible back to Romans 7:24 and look at Paul's cry and begin from there. We read a bit of the verses, uh, particularly from verse 13 all the way to 24. I would like to start from verse 20. It says, Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I want you to see the way the Bible is speaking here by the Apostle Paul that anytime I find myself doing what I don't really want to do what I know is not convenient what I know is contrary to the will and the commandment of God I can only conclude that it is not I who is doing it but sin that dwells in my mortal body? It already presents a picture that as you see a human being walking like that, somebody drinking, if you see prostitutes, in cantonments here around East Legon, you may accuse them by saying they are not serious when actually you don't know what you are talking about. You actually have to have pity on them because they are only in bondage. They are only captives of another master who dwells in them, who is using their body to do what is not convenient. Nobody in his right senses or in a right senses would like to do things that he doesn't want to do. He knows it's not good. You will see, sometimes will, I will see, I don't, know, I don't know why, but you will see a uh, cigarette and they say smoking kills. And then you will see educated people, medical doctors, lawyers, professors, they are still smoking. And you are wondering, are they out of their mind? They know it gives lung cancer. They know what they are doing is going to kill them and cut their life short. Yet they are doing it. There's nobody who is a homosexual or who claims to be LGBTQ that does not know that. It's not convenient. That it's not correct. Yet you see people, they are celebrating pride uh, as if it's something to be proud about. And you may be wondering, why are they so, why are they so stubborn? When actually, they are captives. Somebody, some personality, some sin. Is dwelling in them, taking them hostage to do what they themselves don't like to do. So many times when you have mercy and you have compassion and you begin to discuss with them, you will see that they break down when their eyes are open and they begin to cry. Say, Why am I doing this? So this scripture is already bringing us this matter of sin. The Bible calls many names. In this passage, you say the sin, singular, which dwells in me. The sin is dwelling as a personality in, in the mortal body, in this physical body. Yesterday we began to look at the fact that the flesh or the body is not the issue. It is not the physical flesh that needs to be killed. It is not a physical body that needs to be punished. But it is the personality of the flesh, of the sin, of the sinful nature, of the Adamic nature, of the life that was inherited through Adam, through disobedience by the fall of man, which Satan brought to replace the original life, the image of God that he created in the beginning. When God created them, he created them in his own image and likeness. But in the course of time, Adam lived to be 120 years and he began to have sons. And his children, whose children we are, Adam's children, we were born in his own image and likeness. So each one of us takes after the image of Adam. So sometimes scripture will will be saying that who is born of a woman that can be righteous, can be holy. Anyone that is born after Adam actually carries this flesh nature, this sinful nature in his mortal body. Unfortunately, medical science cannot deal with it because even if you go to the surgical theater and they open you up, they will not see this matter we are talking about. And yet it's present with us and is alive. And the Apostle Paul was giving us this graphical illustration of what it means to be oppressed by this sin in the mortal body. It can be very frustrating for somebody who wants to, to live for God, who wants to please God, who wants to serve God, who wants to live a holy life, who desires to, to live a life that is worthy of God and to make it to heaven, struggling not outside the church. Inside church. Singing in choir. Leading. Sometime even as a pastor. This matter affects Paul. And affects people in Corinth. In fact the church in Corinth. Had this big problem. Where even inside the church. There was immorality going on. And Paul had to address it. There were people that. Somebody was even sleeping with the. <laughs> the mother isn't it? Uh, the stepmother inside church. You'll be thinking it's deliberate. You'll be thinking this person is, is so, is so, is, is wicked. Is not thinking properly. No. There's something wrong with the human nature. And only deliverance, only death, settle this matter. It cannot be changed. Right from Adam through Noah's time, all the way till now there's no way of changing reforming this nature God's conclusion as we now began to read further to 24 is that it has to die in verse 21 it presents it in another way that it says that I find then a law that is evil is present with me the one who wills to do good For I delight in the law of God according to my inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of God, the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So you now see the word captivity is brought. And he continues to use the law the law of sin, and yesterday I began to talk about is that the the motion of sin, it becomes a law that has to be obeyed. This is not talking about the, the law of the commandment. It's talking about the law of gravity that is established, and therefore the law of sin that must be committed by the flesh as a matter of law. There's no way the flesh will be there and you will not sin. It is, it's as if when you see somebody... Who is living in the flesh committing sin you don't need to ask questions you must also know that that is supposed to be expected because it's a law just as like you see fish in water and has to swim you don't ask fish why are you swimming because he has to swim that's the nature that's the law that operates so now he now began to cry and that's the cry that we will also need to cry tonight oh wretched man that I am Who would deliver me from this body of death? This translation, uh, maybe if we have another translation, but this translation already, Paul says that this life is what? Is wretched. Do we have good news uh, or new living translation? Good news or new living translation? Okay. So, Oh, what, what, miserable person that I am. So, if you are in that state, your life is actually miserable indeed. It's a pathetic situation for you to be out of control of the things that your body is doing, the things that your eyes are watching, the things that you are saying, the things that are going on in the last of your body. The last of the flesh you have no control over. is a miserable situation. And your cry is, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? That's our question tonight. Who is qualified? Who on earth or in heaven is able to bring an end to this dominion of the flesh in my life? Who is able to bring an end to this captivity and bondage in which I find myself, even as a Christian, as a child of God, to do the things that I really want to do and to put to death the motions and the principles of the flesh in me that keeps me to do the things I don't like to do? That's the, the the situation that we find ourselves in. And it is going to be our prayer tonight because once Paul raised this question, he, he concluded in verse 25, which Daddy used to pray yesterday, and he said, Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we are going to look at Jesus. What did Jesus do? How did Jesus help us to put an end to this and when we can see, the first thing we like to do is to see how did Jesus become an answer to this miserable situation of the child of God. And the second is, how do we, how do we appropriate it? Having seen what Jesus has done, what is my own duty? How do I walk into the liberty of it if Christ had done it 2,000 years ago? It is very important because even though Christ has done something 2,000 years ago, lack of knowledge, lack of understanding, not knowing the truth will still keep you in bondage until the day you encounter the truth. I hope we, are, we understand. That's, that's the situation. It is, it is only when the truth sets you free that you can be free indeed. Sometimes somebody can be hungry and actually he thinks he's hungry and there's no food and there's no money. And if somebody has already gone to pay to London restaurant and gone to pay 200 Ghana CD for lunch for you and you don't know, what will be your condition? You'll be miserable and say, hungry. And you can be hungry from morning till about 4 p.m. If somebody came or you had a phone call and said, we have been waiting for you. We are about to close. Your lunch has been ready since 12. Sir, what lunch? Ah, <laughs> Reverend, I, do you know Reverend uh, Dennis? Yes, sir. You are, are you the member of the church? She was traveling. When she got to the airport, she paid for lunch for you. And we are waiting for you to come. What will be your situation? You, you break out of bondage. Immediately, the hunger will go. You will fly to airport the restaurant immediately and you are satisfied. Now, the lunch was paid around 11 a.m., but you have been hungry till What has kept you in hunger? Ignorance. Lack of knowledge. You did not know what belongs to you and what has been done. That's what kept people like the man at the beautiful gate. He has been sitting down there as a beggar for years, meanwhile Jesus has paid the price to set him free a long time ago. Until the day Peter and Co got there and said, silver and gold we have none, but what we have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus." It was not now that Peter and Co were trying to do something. Right in Galish, in Isaiah chapter six, the Bible says, "By his stripes we were." So, any time a child of God does not know even what pertains to his healing, he will continue to be sick. The day that his eyes will open and say, ah, why am I sick? By his stripes. And he sent forth his word and heal our disease. And he's the Lord that healed me. I am not sick. Let the poor say, I am rich. Let the weak say, I am strong. He begin to walk in liberty, even without going to hospital. Say, ah. But what happened? Say miracle has happened. Miracle happened 2,000 years ago. Ignorance has kept you sick. So, we would like to need to know, what did Jesus do? How did it take place? I could just say that in five minutes. But, because as Pastor said, this matter is a, a doctrinal, theological confusion. So, we need an understanding from the scriptures that can ferment our faith. Because faith came by what? Hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So you will see that the first scripture that I want us to look to, as we begin to look at what Jesus did for us, is to go to Galatians chapter um, chapter 3. And quickly, I would like to move very quickly. You move with me. Uh, I'll just read. Galatians three verse thirteen, if you can project it for me. Galatians three verse thirteen says now but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hanged on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Now, we should have gone to verse 10 before coming to verse 13. When we go to verse 10, verse 10 of this Galatians says, uh, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under the curse. For the scripture says, curse is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. Everyone who does not obey and walk according to the commandments that are written in God's law is under a curse. Which then means that there will be nobody sitting here who is not under a curse. Anyone that obeys the law must obey all the law. If you offend in one, you offend in all. And any offense of the law brings curse. So, as Paul was dealing with Romans chapter 7, he was talking about the fact that I'm not able to obey the law. Even though the law is good and spiritual, I am carnal, sold under sin. That the things I want to do, I cannot do. So, I am cursed. Now, this curse that is upon every man is what keeps the man in bondage and in consequence of death. So, the by the time we get to chapter thirteen, he now began to say that curse is everyone that hangs on the tree. Chapter thirteen. Let's move to thirteen verse thirteen. Sorry, verse thirteen of chapter three. Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. How did Christ rescue us from the curse pronounced by the law? When he was hanged on the cross he took upon himself the curse of my wrongdoing your wrongdoing for it is written in the scriptures curse is everyone who is hung on a tree. What is of interest to us now is to find out what does it mean that it is written what was written, where is it written you know the Bible says, for what it is written. the what? Cursed is everyone that what? That hangs on the tree. And they are saying that this was the scripture that they used to hang Jesus Christ on the tree. When the people wanted to crucify Christ, they concluded that he is a curse and needs to hang on the tree according to scripture. So if Paul said, thanks be to God, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the one that would deliver me from this flesh, this body of death. How did Jesus do it? And the Bible says that he he did it by taking upon himself all the curse that the flesh imposed upon us by going to the cross to be hanged on the tree. And the people that crucified him, they were law-abiding. For them to crucify him, they needed to have a basis to crucify the Son of God, who has no sin. According to him, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He committed no fornication. He he said no lie. And yet they needed to hang him up on the tree, and there must be a scriptural basis for it. And they found one scripture in the Old Testament that they thought was fitting for Jesus to be hanged up on the tree. So that scripture will take us to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21, and we will need to look at what was happening in Deuteronomy chapter 21 that the people took as a basis to make Jesus Christ the substitutionary a, a person that needs to take our place and to carry our curses and to be hung upon a tree. Can we look at, uh, if you're looking at the Bible, I hope it's Deuteronomy 21, verse 18. So, verse 18 is giving us an analogy. It says, suppose a man has a stubborn and a rebellious son. Suppose, who will not obey his father or his mother? even though they discipline him let's continue to read we are reading to you. in such a case the father and the mother must take the son to the elders as they, ho- they hold court at the gate the parents must say to the elders this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious ...and refuses to obey. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town... ...must stone him to death. In this way... ...you will purge... ...this evil from among you... ...and all Israel will hear about it... ...and be afraid. Verse 22. If someone has committed a crime... ...worthy of death... ...and is executed and hung on a tree... The body must not remain hanging from the tree overnight. He must bury the body that same day, for anyone who is hanged is cursed in the sight of God. In this way, you will prevent the defilement of the land the Lord your God is giving you as your special possession. This is a passage that they used to crucify Jesus Christ. So when Galatians is 10 back that it is written that anyone that hangs on a tree is cursed and the Bible says for somebody to be to be hanged on a tree the whole city the whole family the whole community must have sat down to conclude that this person is 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 not needed to be alive. He has to die. It's a stubborn ...rebellious, incorrigible person that no amount of discipline, punishment, rebuke, correction, no imprisonment will reform him. Even the parents of the child have come to a conclusion that this, our son, is better for him to die. We don't want him in the house anymore. So they will hold him and carry him to the elders of the city that we, are, we want you to crucify him. Uh, please, are, are, you, are you understanding? So, for them to crucify Jesus, they concluded that Jesus Christ had become incorrigible, stubborn, rebellious. He, was, he could be described as the flesh incarnate. He was corrupt. He was he a was, uh, homosexual. He was fornicator. He was a drunkard, a glutton. That cannot be corrected. And the only way to to deal with him is to crucify him. He must be hanged on the tree. And Paul was saying that this is what Jesus had to do to bring deliverance to us. Thanks be to God. Jesus Christ is what? Has delivered us. So, which is now bringing us on understanding if we now begin to link it together. That so, it's, it's possible that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, something happened for him to be able to deliver us and set us free. He had to carry our nature upon himself. I hope you are understanding. That the flesh that is in me, that is in you, that is stubborn, that cannot be corrected. That no matter the fasting, the discipline, the punishment, the resolution you make every year, you see yourself breaking it every time. And you yourself must also conclude that there's nothing you can do to correct the flesh. The only solution... Is for you to get hold of the flesh. You need to grab the flesh from your, from your life. You have, to, you have to, don't allow him to escape. Are you understanding? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. You see the parents of this, what did they do to the child? They held his hand. If they allow him, what do you do? The flesh is very slippery. If you don't hold him tonight, that's how he will escape until maybe another revival time. That's how some boys are very stubborn. Even the day that the father will be so angry and bring a cane, he will just kneel down. I'm sorry, I won't do it again. He's lying crocodile tears. As soon as you leave him, he's going back to repeat it. So the parents have have, said, we have done everything. We know that he cannot be corrected. He must die. So if you also don't get to the point of Romans chapter seven, verse twenty-four, where Paul concluded, Oh, what miserable person I am. Who shall deliver me from the hand of this flesh? It's as if the parents were now crying that we are miserable because of this boy in our lives. Who would deliver us from this boy's hand? Let's hold him. We grab him. He cannot escape. I can imagine the father is holding, the mother is holding, they are carrying him across the street to where the the elders normally used to sit at the gate and then they now say, this is our son. This is my flesh. That's what you will be saying. This is my son. The flesh is actually your own. Isn't it? So you will be reporting to the elders at the gate that this my flesh is too stubborn. It's worrying me too much. It's made my life too miserable. I don't know how I want to follow Christ. I want to be holy. It's, not a, it's destroying my marriage. This is the same flesh that makes me to quarrel with my wife all the time. This flesh is the reason for every divorce. This flesh is the cause of many of the sicknesses that people carry to hospital all the time. It is the cause of all the breakaway of ministry, all the fighting, infighting, outfighting. This flesh is the reason for all the underdevelopment of Ghana and Africa. It's the same flesh that is in, in everywhere. It's corrupt. And you will now hold it and carry him to the elders and say that I want him to be crucified. I want to put him to death. But I cannot do it myself. Nobody can kill his own flesh because we will, there are two things we need to look at. There's the one that Jesus must do and there's the one that we will do we will put to death the flesh by carrying him to Jesus to do it on our behalf. So he hung it to the elders and the elders will stone him to death. And if they think that he qualifies according to this scripture, they will hang him on a tree outside the gate. That's why they took Jesus outside the camp. And his body must not hang there overnight. He must be buried that same night as he brings defilement to the whole camp. And that is the scripture that they used to crucify Jesus. So, we will now need to find out what happened to Jesus Christ that made the elders to think that is that stubborn. He's, he merits such a punishment. And again, Paul didn't leave us uh, in guessing, in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 he gave us an inkling of what God did in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 it says for God made Christ who never sent to be the offering of our sins to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Um, there's one other translation that makes it very graphic. I think it's the Living Bible, Old Living Bible. It said, God took the sinless Christ and poured into him what? Our sin. God took Christ who was sinless. So already we know that Christ himself is sinless, perfect. God said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. But because he himself came to be the scapegoat, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, because he came to set us free, there needed to be an exchange. He has to take upon himself our flesh and by that be crucified on our behalf. So, this scripture is saying that God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we can be made right with God through Christ. So, there's no way anybody can be righteous except there will be an exchange that God would take the iniquity the flesh, the sin that makes our lives miserable and, and transfer it for Jesus Christ. So that Jesus Christ can be qualified as the rebellious, stubborn son that can never be changed. If we go back to our normal Isaiah chapter 53, it also gives us another um, understanding if we look at verse. Verse 6 especially. Isaiah 53 was breaking down some of the things that we could get from the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. When he says he has borne, verse 4 says, He has borne our griefs and sicknesses, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded. For our transgressions. Verse 5. He was bruised for our iniquities. So you see transgressions. You see iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And I think we are aware of all of this. But verse 6 is quite important. Verse 6 says, And we all, like sheep, have gone astray. What does that one mean? This is now talking about the nature, the flesh. You know how sheep behave, isn't it? Eh? It's easy to correct a sheep. Eh? When they take one direction, they go astray. They're on their way. So the scripture says that the flesh makes us to behave like sheep that have gone astray. And for God to be able to correct our, and to bring us back to reconcile to himself. He, we have turned each one, everyone, to his own way. Are you seeing the way the Bible is describing the flesh? The flesh cannot follow God. It will not follow God's commandment. In fact, Romans say it cannot please God, it cannot obey the commandment. It turns on its own way. There's a way that seems right to every flesh, and it leads to distraction, yet, it walks in it. It will not acknowledge God in all his ways he will lean on his own understanding and take his own direction. We all, everyone, we all in the human race, we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him what? The iniquity of what? Of us all. This iniquity is what Paul was dealing with in Romans as what? Sin. That dwells in me. It's not talking about iniquities. In verse 5 you see he's talking about iniquities and transgressions. Are you seeing that in your verse 5? Transgressions and what? Iniquities. What are iniquities? Iniquities and transgressions are what? Sins and disobediences. These are the fruits of the tree. But the producer of the fruit is called iniquity. The flesh. The sin that dwells in us. The human nature. It's not a mistake that when they get to verse 6, they say the iniquity of us all. Not the iniquities. The iniquities are dead by the blood as the blood is applied to cleanse all iniquities and misbehaviors. But the tree is not dead by the blood. The tree is dead by the cross to uproot the tree, which is the iniquity himself, which is the producer. And for God to be able to deal with that he has to evacuate the iniquity of us all and what? And lay it on Jesus. I don't know whether you understand the language of the scripture. God now saw our, our flesh and misbehavior. Each one of us has turned away to his own way. All are sheep gone in their own direction. And God now said that this has been going on since Adam fell all the way to Noah up to today, the solution is that we must take the iniquity of them all. What makes them to misbehave? The flesh that frustrates their life that cannot make them to live a Christian life. We take the iniquity of it all and we will lay it on Jesus. We will put it for him to carry it to the cross. So after Jesus has carried this iniquity of us all, then that Galatians chapter 3 that Deuteronomy chapter 21 is fitting for him. Since he's now carrying the iniquity of the homosexual, since he's carrying the iniquity of the backslider, since he's carrying the iniquity of the drunkard, then he's a drunkard. Since he's carrying the iniquity of the glutton, is a glutton. So now this Christ, who has not committed any sin, he now begins to carry the iniquity of the whole world. So you will now see his prayer in the garden of Gethsemane. When God took the iniquity of us all and he put it in a cup and then presented it to Jesus that this is the iniquity of the whole world. Drink this cup. I want to lay it upon you so that you will carry their flesh and you will become the iniquity of the whole world. And Jesus looked at the cup and he prayed, he sweat, and he said, Father, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass over me. And when he looks at the cup that carries the iniquity of us all, it was a very difficult situation. He came back to his disciples that were supposed to be praying for him, the prayer warriors, they were asleep. And said, Do you sleep at such an hour? You cannot watch and pray with me? This is a tempting, difficult, the most difficult hour of my life. I am so, supposed to carry the iniquity of us all. All the abortions, all the corruption, all the anger, all the fighting is being presented to me here. And he went again for the second time. He said, if it is possible, let's find another way of salvation. Let's find another way of helping these people. And God said, no, any other way we try it cannot work. The blood is, and everything, we try the sacrifices, offering, everything. All is not working. Somebody must carry the iniquity of them all. We are talking about the flesh must be evacuated from each person and you must drink it and become the personified flesh of the whole world. And Jesus said, Nevertheless, not my will. Let your will be done. He came again. The people were still asleep. And he went back to the time. and as if he now gave in. And as he took the cup, he drank the iniquity of our soul. When Peter was trying to cut somebody, he said, no, don't you know that the cup that my father offers me, I must drink of that cup. So he now began to take the iniquity of us soul. Immediately he drank the iniquity and took my sin and the sin of the whole world. Jesus Christ became the rebellious, sinful man and right from there, as he was coming out of the garden, the people who were looking for him to crucify him were ready waiting. And they arrested him, and he has no power. The father turned his eyes away. He could not behold iniquity. His eyes are too pure to help his son. And as they push him on the ground, they slap him, they push him, they will carry him all the way to Golgotha to hang him on the tree on your behalf, on my behalf, so that by his death we can now exchange and have his righteousness. And he now become what? The iniquity that carried it to the grave. And therefore, when he resurrect, we resurrect within. in baptism and resurrection. We can walk in newness of life. That's the understanding. So that's where we need to now try and conclude, because that's what Paul was now dealing with in Romans, which I would like us to go back to that Romans. And if you have had some understanding, you, it will make it easy for you now to see how Romans chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8 was trying to deal with this. Let me just take chapter 6 and uh, try and conclude for that tonight and use a little time to pray. In Romans 6, it says that what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Say, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death. Are you seeing the language being used here? It's not talking about water baptism here. It's talking about we, when Christ was going to be crucified, each one of us, our flesh, our old sinful nature, was baptized. The meaning of baptized is what? Was immersed into Christ. We were in Christ when he died. That's basically what it means. Christ would never have died if he was not carrying my flesh. Each one of us, God thought of us before we were even born. And he made a provision. As if I said, the reverend has already paid for your lunch. So, we were baptized into him. Into his death. So, by one man's death, all died. So when Paul is talking in Galatians, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. You'll be wondering, how did it happen? How was Paul crucified with Christ when he was not there, when Christ was even around? Because he knew that the death of Christ, he was baptized into it. God laid our flesh, our iniquity on him. God took the sinless Christ and put upon him the iniquity of us all. And Paul now said that we all are baptized into Christ. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. This is not water baptism again. That when Jesus was buried, our flesh was baptized into him, dead with him, buried with him, waiting for resurrection. And he said, we were raised also with him when Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, Even so, we should walk in newness of life. Newness of life, born again life. Only begins from this understanding. And he now begins to say, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, how were we united together in the likeness of his death? Because our flesh was baptized into him. He carried the iniquity of us all. So when he was crucified on the cross, that's when my flesh was crucified. And we also shall in the likeness of his resurrection be. Knowing this, that our old man—what is our old man? Uh, other translation say verse six is our. Our old man. Sometimes what? Our old sinful nature. Our flesh is talking about. You know what the old man is, isn't it? The Adamic nature was crucified with him. Is this becoming an understanding? You see how when Jesus was crucified, what happened to your old man? He died with him. That's the only way that scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 21 could be applicable to him. Otherwise, there's no basis for, for crucifying Jesus. He had committed no sin. But because, just like it was happening in the Old Testament, they will bring the scapegoat and everybody who is a sinner must lay his hands and transfer his sin into the goat. And then the goat is crucified and sacrificed in place of each of the sinners. So God also had to do the same thing by taking Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and transfer unto him the sinful nature of everyone. Not our sins, but the iniquity of us all. That personality of the flesh that make us to be sheep that have gone astray doing our own thing laid upon him. So if we know this so it's knowledge now which I want you to go out from here. Anytime you refuse to know it, you walk into ignorance. So the word there is what? Knowing this. In my own Bible is what? Is knowing. Is anybody who won't say we knew this? Eh? So what must we do? We must keep what? Keep knowing it until you die. Anytime your wife provokes you and you are about to insult, you must know this. Anytime you are faced with temptation, what must you do? Know this, that my flesh, my old flesh is what? Is dead. If I'm dead to sin, how do I continue to sin anymore? God forbid. Keep knowing that the flesh is what is dead. Knowing this that our old man was crucified with him and that the body of sin might be what done away. What is the body of sin? The flesh must be done away. It's gone. We should no longer what be slaves of what? Sin. You should know. What? No Christian should be a slave of sin anymore. Because of what Jesus did. But it must come by what? Knowledge. Each one of us must know it. Practical knowing. For we who has died, he who has died has been what? Freed from what? From sin. So how can you be free from the flesh? Except what? Death. The only solution to the flesh is what? He must be put to death. But the death, it has to be brought to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has to do it. And for he who has died is free from sin. That's how you can live a holy life. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies what? No more. Death no longer has what? Dominion over him. Verse 11. Likewise, what must you do? You also... What? reckon yourself. What does it mean to reckon? Consider yourself as what? To be dead indeed to sin. Consider yourself. When I came to an understanding of this, that's how you apply it to every sin. Every sin, every temptation, every addiction, you can walk up in this knowledge and say that I am dead to alcohol. In fact, if somebody is drinking alcohol now and decide I won't drink anymore, he, he can walk in freedom that's what i did if somebody is a homosexual tonight and comes to this revelation and decides that homosexuality i am dead to homosexuality it must end tonight that's that's how it is if you are a smoker and say that this smoking has been doing since uh, jhs and now that i know that christ has set me free and my flesh was crucified with him how should i smoke again i am dead to smoking that's the end there's no there's no other solution you put to death smoking in your, out of your members. Every immorality, if you are in an immoral relationship and you say tonight is the end of it, that's it. That's how people walk to the man and say, he has finished. I remember one guy when we preached to her like that, he went to Tema and met the sugar daddy that was he said I have met Jesus Christ. Our relationship is finished. The man said, I will kill myself. I said, let him die. The guy was so afraid. He called me. He said, "He said he want to kill himself. I don't I said, "Let him kill himself. He will see that beyond death there is another judgment that you go and stand before the bar of God." He didn't die. He, he fainted. He went to hospital. He came back, and the guy was free. There's no magic about it. Because you need to know it. And once you know it, you walk into that liberty of that knowledge. And then as you continue to read the rest, I will leave you now. But when you come to verse 12, there's something that you need to now do. When you reckon yourself as dead, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. You are the one to let. Do not allow it. Despite all this preaching, despite all the pastor who preach every Sunday, if you want to sin, you will sin. If you don't want to sin, you will not. Somebody can be free. Somebody can be holy. You are the one to say that I will not do it again. I will not let any sin dwell in my mother. I will fight with my wife again. The quarrel is Now, we didn't marry to quarrel. I don't know why people married to quarrel. Every time you acquire, every time there's argument, every time there's confusion, you must say it is finished. We married to love, and let's see love in our home. It's finished. It's finished. Every matter of sin is a matter you now together say, "I will not allow this anymore in my matter body." Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. You are the one to say, my members, my hand, you will not steal again. My eye, you won't watch pornography again. When you see, you delete it. My mouth, you will not speak lie. I will not sing a Shatawale song. All of you, you are the one to say, I will not. And delete. There's no problem about that. It will delete. Every matter of disobedience, since you now know what Christ has done, and you know that you are free, you don't keep yourself in bondage again. You walk in the liberty, put to death, all the members and the motions that the flesh has left behind. The flesh is dead, but he has left his motions, he has left his members, his uh, addictions and things there, and all those things, you are the ones to knock them off, to mortify them, to say, it's finished, it's finished. Send an email, send a text message tonight, end that relationship, block that website, all of that are to be mortified one by one until you are free. That one is your own duty to do and you keep doing it until we meet Christ again. But the main root of the tree is being uprooted and every fruit of it that is in your life, you must knock it down. Knock it down. Mortify it. Put it to death and end all of those things and be free. And may the Lord help you in Jesus' name. We would like to pray on this um, as we stop here if you will be on your feet with me I, like, I don't want us to oversee that time what we have been trying to look at now is what Jesus did and how do we appropriate it into our lives we will spend five minutes to pray and what I will be begging God to do for you is to for God to open your eyes to see what Jesus did for you, and for you to practically lay hold of the flesh, any manifestation of the flesh in your life, and bring it to Jesus Christ at the feet of the cross, and say, Jesus, tonight must end my struggle. The reason why I'm asking God to open our eyes is because of what Paul said to the Galatians. Uh, in Galatians chapter three, if uh, if we can read Galatians three, he said something that if you don't understand it, you may not experience what everybody needs to experience. Now Galatians chapter three, uh, verse one, I think verse one. He said, "Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you?" You should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. You know, Paul was writing to the Galatians many years after Jesus has been crucified and gone. And he says that they needed to portray Jesus Christ before their eyes. They needed to see how Jesus was crucified and how he took their flesh and took it to Calvary and was nailed on the cross. And when a man does not see what Jesus has done spiritually, he cannot enter into that experience. You remember that when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and said, you must be born again, Nicodemus asked the question, how can this thing be? How can I be born again? And Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So that anyone who believes in Him shall not perish by having blasphemy. And then the question was, how did Moses lift up the serpent? And you know that in the story of in that Numbers, the people they fell into sin. Serpent was biting them; they were dying. They cried to God. Moses was interceding, and God said, "No problem. I have a solution. I will do a shadow of what we will do in reality in Christ Jesus. Make a bronze serpent." put it on a stick up as a crucified serpent. And anyone who looks onto the serpent that is hanged on the tree, he will not die. He will live. So the people, if you were in the forest, you would see what everybody was trying to do. As the snake was biting them, they were just looking at, looking up. They were just looking up to the serpent that was the bronze serpent. And mysteriously, Supernaturally, they lived. Despite the poison, the snakes that bit them, the serpent that hanged on the tree was able to take the iniquity and the flesh and the death into himself, and everybody was set free. Anybody that could not have faith to look and doubted, he died in the wilderness. And Jesus he said that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So that anyone who will believe in him by seeing with his own eyes what Jesus did at Calvary for him and believe, he will have eternal life. So when the Bible says that the devil has blinded the eyes of them who do not believe, so that they will not see, you know, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it means that people cannot see what Jesus did at Calvary. And you must see. That's why Paul said the Galatians were foolish. Because people were casting a spell upon them. And if you don't see, you're not likely to believe. So in the two minutes, you just beg God That's why, Holy Ghost, open my eyes to see Jesus. Help me to see the man of Calvary as I bring to you my flesh. Confess your sins to him. Lay hold of the flesh, every manifestation of it. You know how it's manifesting in your life. It may be a little anger, it may be issue of lust. It may be issue of outbursts of emotions. It may be issue of addictions of the flesh, lust of the flesh, pride of life, any way that is bringing frustration in your life. Say, so Lord, as we end our service tonight, I want to be free. I want to see the man of Calvary. I want to present my stubborn flesh. Let him be crucified. Let me experience deliverance. Thank God Jesus Christ has done it for us at Calvary. Let me walk into that liberty in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we thank you tonight. Reveal your son Jesus Christ to us. Open our eyes to see Jesus, the man of Calvary. Help us, Lord, as we bring to you, O oh God, our flesh and the passions of the flesh the sins and its motions in our body. We are tired of it. We pray, O oh God, that you will deliver us once and for in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask, O God, that you meet each one of us at the point of our need. We pray, O oh God, that the deliverance, the healing that will take place tonight shall be permanent in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Holy Ghost, do it again. In the name of Jesus,
1: for you are glorious you are ready to be praised of God the glory and you. Righteousness forever over that you